Well, in case you haven't noticed, um, we're having a, uh, a health crisis right now in our nation. Any of you noticed at all? Okay. Okay. Um, to COVID-19, obviously. Um, how many of you had a conversation about COVID-19 this week? <laughs> okay. Kind of shows where it is. I think it's just an easy topic of conversation. I don't need to say much more other than this, that we are longing for a day we can put this all behind us. Amen? Amen. We're, we're longing for the day we can rid ourselves of those masks. We can long for the day when we can be done with all quarantines. Long for the day when we can walk around in public without fear of catching the virus or without fear of spreading the virus, particularly to those who are vulnerable. In, in other words, right, we're looking forward to the day when we can be healthy again. We don't have to think much about our health. And um, yet we as a church... Right? The reason why we gather together often and, and weekly is to remind us once again that, that our life is beyond our physical health. Um, that if anything COVID ought to teach us, it's that, you know what, how easy it is to get wrapped up in this world. But, but we come each Sunday morning to focus beyond to our eternal health, the blessings of a life lived in obedience to Christ. And we're going to see that in our text this morning. We're going to see a sick man be healed and come to perfect health, him, himself. And then we're going to hear a man preach about how to obtain future blessing. And so my message this morning is appropriately titled, Perfect Health and Future Blessing. My apologies for the fonts. They look really bad, but I had some sort of problem today. I'm going to try to figure that out this week, because the font doesn't look right. But at least it's something. So if you, don't, if you haven't turned to already in your Bibles, I invite you to open to Acts chapter 3. We've been working our way through this book the past uh, few months. It tells a, a great story of, of the early church, um, how it began and how it progressed and how the message of the gospel really spread like wildfire throughout the world. Uh, one of the things I love about Acts is the book of triumph and victory. Um, seemingly everywhere you go in the book of Acts, you see people come into faith. You see expansion and growth. You see the, the church spreading far and wide. Now, that's not to say that there aren't trials and, and troubles and tribulations. In fact, many times in the book of Acts, you see when, when non-believers rise up with hostility toward the, the disciples, and, and they mock them, and they beat them, and they imprison them, and they even, chapter 7, put, put them to death. The difficulties, though, however, cast upon followers of Christ don't stop the work of God. However, in a strange sort of way, that even these, these pressures press the church to go, to go further with even more influence than ever before, with more followers entering the fold. As Tertullian said long ago, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That is, if you seek to kill the people of the church, they'll just seed it and cause it to grow even all that much more. And, and throughout the book of Acts, just, just consider the incredible events that take place. As we, we think about just the progress of the gospel, we see people raised from the dead, Tabitha was in Acts 9, and Eutychus was in Acts chapter 20. We, we read of people freed from demons who have oppressed them. We read of the, the sick being healed of their diseases. Even so much so that, that just if, if Peter's shadow would hit someone who was sick, they would be healed and cured. We read of prophecies coming true. Prophecies of famine, prophecies of persecution coming. We read of visions Directing missionaries where they should go. Peter, you need to go down to Joppa to uh, meet a man named Cornelius. 
Or, uh, Paul, you need to go to Macedonia, not Asia or Bithynia. We read of Jesus and the Holy Spirit verbally speaking to the disciples of Jesus. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in beginning the first missionary journey, the Holy Spirit saying, set out apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, to the work that I have called them. We read of angels opening prison doors. We read of earthquakes opening prison doors. We read of answered prayer. We read of, um, of churches being started. We read of many coming to faith. And it's a super encouraging book to read. And in my hope, it's the, the kind of book that would hype us up. Um, it's, it's the kind of book that kind of gives you adrenaline to encourage you to follow after the Lord. And we've already seen some of these incredible events. Think about chapter 1. What, what, what incredible things we saw in chapter 1? Well, the, the resurrection of Jesus and uh, his appearing for 40 days to his disciples and the ascension of Jesus. So all these just like amazing things, incredible things. In, in chapter 2, we saw the, the Holy Spirit come upon the church, empower people to speak languages that they had never studied uh, we see then Peter preaching and 3,000 people repenting of their sins, baptized in water and added to the church. It's really pretty amazing. And, and the amazing continues in chapter 3, which is our text today. We're going to see a lame man, crippled all his life, get up and walk. And not only walk, he's going to be leaping and about and praising God all through the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who's continuing his work. So let's consider our text Acts chapter 3, 1 through, 12, 1 through 26. And I want to begin just by reading the first 11 verses, which I am calling the miracle. It's a really simple outline this morning, just the miracle, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the, the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called Beautiful, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention upon them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and no gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate in the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, at this point, when we think about the miracle, I simply want us just to to work through these verses together, just making some observations uh, along the way and, and seeking to bring this miracle uh, to life because it's an amazing thing when God works in a miracle in the Bible. So the scene is set in verse 1. We have Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. We got Peter and John. These were disciples of Jesus. And these weren't any disciples of Jesus. These were part of the inner core. Jesus had his 12 disciples, but there were three disciples particularly that were, were brought on with Jesus in some special circumstances. Do you know who they are? Peter and John and who's the other inner one? You don't know. Who is the other one? James. Peter and James and John. They're the ones who, who went up on the mountain of transfiguration. The disciples were down below trying to um, trying to heal this uh, demon-possessed boy, and they couldn't quite do it. But Peter was up on the top of the mountain 
with James and John and Jesus together seeing him transformed. Jesus only brought Peter, James, and John into the inner room to raise Jairus' daughter. And uh, that's, remember, that's the girl that fell dead, and Jesus says, she's only sleeping, and they're laughing. And, she, and Peter says, uh, Jesus says, here, come, just, we have room for you three. You three come, and you witness the resurrection. How I would have loved to see this, this raising up to life again. Jesus only brought Peter, James, and John to be apart from the nine when he's praying in Gethsemane. He, he brought the disciples to Gethsemane, and they were right there. And he said, okay, you nine stay here. Peter, James, and John, why don't you come a little further? Because they were a little bit more intimate. So these were, all that to say, they were some of Jesus' key disciples. <clears throat> of course, we know about Peter. John wrote the Gospel of John, for second, third John. He also wrote Revelation. These are like key guys who experienced more of Jesus and became leaders of the church as a result of that. We read in verse 1 that they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Now, on any given day, Jews would, would gather into the temple three times a day, at the morning sacrifice and at the evening sacrifice and then sometime in the day. And particularly here, the, the custom was they would come up at the ninth hour, which was the, 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 the time of the afternoon prayer. Ninth hour is about three o'clock. And, and simply the significance of that is that they're going up to the temple to pray when everyone else is going to pray. So there'd probably be a, a crowd there. And uh, this crowd of the people were accustomed to going up to the temple. They're going to pray and commune with God. And, uh, but on that day, that they experienced something far greater than they ever expected and they ever experienced before. They, they witnessed a miracle. And, and enter verse 2, the, the man who experienced the miracle firsthand. We read this. And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, this man had some sort of deformity in his legs, uh, maybe polio, maybe cerebral palsy, maybe some other condition that paralyzed him from the, from the waist down. Uh, maybe he was, even some arms had some problems as well. We don't know, um, but you know what? He, he may have looked like some of these men who obviously have had some physical difficulty in their life. Uh, these men all have atrophied legs. I'm just trying to bring you into this miracle to see what sort of, of man this would be. He, and this man was, was lame from birth. He never walked. It wasn't a, he wasn't falling down off some place and have a head injury. Just from birth, this man came out without being able to use his legs. Can you imagine your own child never walking? It's hard. In Bible times, it was common for those who were handicapped to beg for a living. Right? There's no online where they could just remote and just do things with their hands and their screens. It's just that everything was much more physical back then, and uh, so they, they taught them to beg for a living. And so this man had some friends who then brought him to the beautiful gate to beg. Um, we don't know. Scholars have been unable to identify what exactly this beautiful gate is or, or where exactly it is, not written uh, about um, at all in the ancient scripture, but we know a couple things about it. First of all, it was, help me, beautiful, right? <laughs> it's the beautiful gate. And secondly, we know that it was a gate. All right, those are the two things we know. It was beautiful and ornate, and it was a gate that was everybody's going to pass right through there. This was like a high traffic area, and he was placed there daily. This was not just a one-time experience. He was there day after day after day after day, right at the gate, and it's because the people would pass right through and would see him, and this would be where he'd get most traffic and get most money to help him live. 
Now we know that two of the people who passed him were Peter and John. And seeing Peter and John about to go to the temple, he asked them to receive alms. And uh, he, he just verbally probably asked them. Uh, this is not unlike those in our day who stand on the medium of a stoplight with a cardboard sign in hand and asking for money. And the reason why they have a cardboard sign is because we drive by with our, our windows up and we don't even can't talk with them like they'd have to really shout out loud. But in, in the old days, when they're walking through into the gate, they're walking and everyone's passing, right? Unsocially distant, right? Three, four, five feet uh, close to one another. You, you, can, you can do that. And, and you think about um, um, that those we drive in a car, right? What, what do you normally do when you see someone who's up there with a sign in the car? Maybe you give money. Maybe you don't do anything. If you don't do anything, what are you doing? You're trying to look like straight ahead, right? You're kind of like, you're just avoiding, avoid, that person's not there is kind of what you think. Maybe you catch a glimpse of the sign. But, but notice the eye contact between Peter and uh, this, this man and John. Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and they said, look at us. So right, this, this eye contact is made, and for a beggar, he knows that when eye contact is made, cha-ching, that's when it's going well. And verse 5 this beggar fixes attention upon them, expecting to receive something from them. And uh, it's natural that when this eye contact has been made, they expect some money. And then comes Peter's famous line in verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I'm sure this beggar experienced some, di- some disappointment if initially when he said, no silver or gold do I have. Um, I have no money. <laughs> the, the beggar's what the beggar thinking. That's what I need. I need money. If you don't have any money, you're not going to be able to help me. And so disappointed was there. But then I'm sure that he was intrigued because he was getting something. But he says, what I have, I give to you. And um, so he, he so, okay, I'm going to get something, but I doubt he imagined what it was that he was getting that afternoon. He was getting perfect health. It's my sermon title, right? Perfect health and future blessing. This is the perfect health of it. Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God, right? Here's a great picture of what was happening. You see the smile on his face. He, here, was a, here was the beggar who needed to be carried every day to beg for his money, now walking, right? And leaping, right? He's jumping, okay? Jumping high, maybe. You want to see how high I can jump? Yeah! He's jumping, yeah! Right? That's what he's doing. He's so excited. And we're saying, he's praising God. He, he's, he, he's saying, Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! I can walk! And he's probably running around, right? He's, if it wasn't for social distance, maybe I'd run around the, the auditorium here and just, you can kind of imagine that in your mind of just, yes! Yes! And I love how Luke describes what, what happened to this man. His feet and his ankles were made strong. Something medically happened with his feet. Muscles were formed. Tendons were attached. Nerves set in place instantly and he got up and he walked he wasn't like a toddler who learns to walk slowly you've seen a a toddler walk many 
Many of you, right? They're, they're on their, their bellies and they learn to get up. And then, and then the coffee table, right? They learn to stand up at the coffee table and they're, they're doing this deal, right? And then they, they, they fall down, right? And, and then they learn to do this deal and then they let go and then they fall down. But eventually, right, they get some stability and they take a step and they fall down. And then they're taking a step, two steps, and then they start, you know, kind of walking funny. And mom is, is there, come on, come on, Junior, come on. And, you know, they're kind of trying to walk, and they don't really know what's happening. That, that was not the case here. This man instantly walking and leaping. I mean, can you imagine any of these men walking and leaping and praising God and being like that man? I mean, think about also stroke victims who, who, who maybe have had some, some uh, damage, nerve damage done to their legs. They, they need to go into rehab for months to try to learn how to walk. Not so here. And this man was walking and leaping instantly. So if, if you're attuned to this, you think about, oh, what a miracle. You know, there were two miracles here. The first miracle was just the growth of the, the legs to be able to support him. And the second miracle was that about uh, being able to walk instantly. Two miracles took place here. It's a, it's a double miracle. And this, thorough, this healing was so thorough that look down in verse 16, what Peter calls it. He calls it perfect health. And his name, this is the name of Jesus, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health. In the presence of you all. And that's why my message this morning is entitled Perfect Health and Future Blessing. Because all the people saw him walking and praising God. And, and, and verse 10 is amazing, right? They, they recognized him as the one who sat in the beautiful gate in the temple asking for alms. And they're filled with wonder and amazement with what happened. These people saw what happened and they were amazed. They were shocked at this miracle. Now, this is unlike so many of the healings that take place today by televangelists. As R.C. Sproul says, this was no staged plant for a healing service. You know, when they have crowds and some anonymous person who really can walk gets up, right, and they got crutches, and then the, the healer the, the touches his head, he falls down, he gets back up, and then he starts walking and leaping. Like, he could have done that before. In fact, you say, how'd he get to the, the big auditorium? He did that on his way in. It wasn't staged like that. This wasn't premeditated, pretended healing to get attention to people so you can solicit donations. No, everybody knew this man. They recognized him, as it says in verse 10, as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. See, these, these beggars had their places like scouted out and they would go to the same place over and over and over and over again. And as people entered the temple for their days of prayer, for their times of prayer, they would go by the same gate over and over and over again. And you get to know this person and you get to know whether you gave them money. He would recognize you. You'd recognize them. And they'd recognize him because they'd seen him a hundred times before sitting in the same dirty place, displaying the same cardboard sign. Wearing the same dirty clothes, saying the same thing, right? Alms for the poor, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. No, this was an authentic miracle, and nobody could deny it. 
In fact, later on in chapter 4, the leaders are going to convene against Peter and John, hating their preaching of Jesus. Says, okay, we hate what they're doing. They're preaching, chapter 4, verse 2, in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. So they hate that, but they got this obstacle, which is this miracle. And and they say in in verse 14 that they can't deny this miracle. They're seeing the the man who, who was healed standing beside them. They had nothing to say in opposition. So they dismissed everybody and they talked privately. And in verse 16, they said, what should we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. Like this, this is in the testimony of everybody. And, and this, by the way, is an indication of such a hard heart. Here's a miracle like that. And rather than saying, wow, the power of God is with these men, let's listen to what they say and follow after them. They hated the message and therefore they had to try to get around this miracle. This undeniable, fully authenticated miracle, only explained by the power of God. And that's exactly what Peter does. He explains what takes place, saying that it was the power of God that did it. And and that is my second point here this morning, is the message, right? The outline is really simple. It's the miracle, and then it's the message. And and verse 11 sets the stage for this message. While he clung to Peter and John... All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he, he addressed the people. Um, so this is Solomon's portico is, is where this was. This is uh, another reference to a different place in the temple. First you had going through the gates, but now they're in the temple at Solomon's portico. We know a little bit more about Solomon's portico. It was where these, these tall um, a concrete structures. These pillars were there, and there was a, a cedar roof overhead. These, these pillars were probably about 30 feet high, so, you know, the size of our, uh, of our ceiling here. And so a roof, and uh, you could fit a lot of people in there. A lot of people could hear, and it was great for Peter then to preach. And uh, what I want to do is to continue to engrap this, put this into your heart, put this into your mind, I want to preach them to you just like Peter would have, because Peter didn't have any notes. Peter wasn't saying, oh, let me, let me pull up. What, what am I supposed to say? He didn't pull out his e-Bible. He just preached to them. This man is clinging to him, right? verse 11. He's there. These people are all around, and they're like, oh, what is this? What is this? And so Peter stands up. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? This man made well. Or, or, or why do you stare at us, though by our power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, to which we are witnesses. The theme of the book, right? He said, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your father's. 
But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets as Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. And you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you. By turning every one of you from your wickedness. And that's what he preached. And that's what the people heard. They're, they're powerful words. And I just say here really at a, a point of, of, of application. Right? We may not be able to heal a crippled man as dramatically as Peter did. And thus we may not be able to, to get the crowds of attention on us with, with people that we've healed strapping at our feet and with crowds of you saying, what is this? What is this? But we still can pivot and transition like Peter did. When, when things happen in our lives, we can take the opportunities that God presents us and, and, and turn them into spiritual conversations and talk about Jesus. This is a whole idea about uh, being a witness that acts calling us to. So when the talk in the office about the trying times of the country and, and of our election and, and our division racially as a, as a nation, you can pivot to talk about the secure kingdom of Jesus, which, which isn't being changed about all these the difficulties we're having. Uh, we read the family yesterday, Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed I mean, that's, they're like, they hate Jesus. But God sits in the heavens. You remember what he does? He, he laughs. He says, <laughs> so all this turmoil in our country right now, it's the talk in your office. It goes to talk about all this turmoil. You say, well, you know, this is an earthly kingdom. And I serve a heavenly king who's got a for sure grounded kingdom. And that's where I'm placing my trust. Or maybe you can pivot even to talk about your comfort in God's sovereign hand over the nation. Like, uh, our, our nation may be going away that's difficult, that's all divided and it's hard. But you know what? I, I just know that the, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He directs it wherever he will. And then he'll take care of me. And I can trust in that. So the, see the pivot, right? As things are talking, and just as Peter pivoted from this miracle to then talk about Jesus and preach like this, so you can pivot, right? Or when talking with strangers in the store about COVID, which happens from time to time, or maybe they're complaining about it, or you hear something about it, you can pivot to our frailty. You you can pivot to, yes, we we can get that disease, and we are frail, and we may die. And you can pivot to the hope that you have in Jesus. Pivot, right, from COVID to, like, hope and expectation rather than down and dreary. Or when you talk with your family about plans for for some holidays, say Christmas is coming up sooner, or Thanksgiving, right? You can pivot to talk about the reason why Jesus came to earth. You know, hey, you ready to come over? You know, particularly if you've got unsaved family, <clears throat> we're going to come over and do presents. You say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to really reflect upon uh, Jesus coming to earth. 
right? You can just pivot and kind of just focus attention where attention needs to be focused. Or with Thanksgiving, yes, you can focus your time to talk about Thanksgiving. Or, or you can pivot to Christmas. Think about the amazement of the fulfillment of the prophecy. Right? Do you know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem just according to Micah chapter 5 that was predicted hundreds of years earlier? Do you know that? See, there's the pivot. Uh, you can pivot when you talk with your friend about hardships at work. When your friend is kind of complaining about how difficult things are, you can say, you know, that's, God didn't make the world that way. Um, but through the fall and through Adam, he made thorns and thistles to grow so that our work would be hard. Or you can pivot to talk about rest. Yes, that's difficult, but we can find rest in Jesus. Or when you talk with your neighbor about the events of the upcoming weekend, right? they're going to go out and, and go to some show or go to some event or go to some thing, whatever they're doing. You can pivot about your plans on Sunday morning to be at church. Or you can pivot about your joy about, um, about being in worship and longing to be together with the people of God and how hard it's been in COVID to be a part and how now we can at least get together. Yeah, maybe we have masks on, but we can at least get together. And as Psalm 4 says, that uh, my joy in you is greater than their joy in the harvest with all the wine and the merrymaking. So you can just argue, you can outjoy them when you, you speak about God's people. In other words, just, just pivoting from your conversations to, to Jesus. And in that way, you can be a, a witness to the book. You can be a witness for Jesus, which is really the application of the book of Acts. And, and that's what Peter did. He was a witness. In fact, he even mentions it there in verse 15. God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. He's just saying, I saw it. I'm a witness. And you just need to share, not what you don't know, but just share what you do know and be a witness for Christ. But Peter is different than us. By the power of God, he was enabled to form this miracle, and this miracle got attention of many. And and of the many, we read in verse 10 that they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And they were utterly astonished. Now, here, here's the people of the crowd just like amazed and in awe. And, and maybe <clears throat> as you work to pivot your conversations, they're not going to be quite so amazing and, and in awe. But you can just at least seek to be a, a light. With a number of people, though, curious to understand what happened to the crippled beggar, Peter made the point. He began, first off, to set the matter straight by making the pivot straight to God how he'd been healed. He said he'd been healed by the power of God, verse 13. And it's through faith in Jesus that he was healed. And and then, I'm just summarizing the sermon for us here this morning, and and then he went on to their sin. If you look in verse 14 and 15, it says, they killed the very one that was intended to bring them life. He was the life giver, and they killed the life giver. But of course, God raised him from the dead. You can't, you can't take him down. I'm, I'm reminded of some of those trick candles. You know, you have a candle that's burning and you, you blow it out. What happens? Comes right back again. And you, you blow it out. It's going to come right back again. That's who Jesus was. They put to death the author of life. And he, of course, is going to rise again. And, and it says in verse 14, right, that you killed the, you denied the holy and righteous one. This was the holy and pure one. He, he wasn't with sin, and you killed that one. And then finally, Peter preached repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In verse 19, repent, therefore, and turn back. Now, now these things about the power of God, about preaching Jesus is the righteous one that you killed, that God raised from the dead, and then preaching repentance, it sounds 
strikingly familiar to something else we've heard, right? It sounds a lot like Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, where Peter begins first by setting the matter straight. He said, these tongues are not people who are drunk, but the tongues are fulfillment of the prophecy when the Holy Spirit would come. There is God. God is the explanation for the, the tongues. And then Peter continued by preaching about Jesus, who lived and died and was buried and was raised, and he ascended, and now he reigns in exaltation. And then he went on to their sin. You're responsible for the killing of the Messiah and commanded them to repent for the forgiveness of sins. Really similar in some regards. One commentator even noted, it it seems strange at first glance that in his narrative, Dr. Luke would place two such similar sermons of Peter so close together. But his putting the Pentecost sermon in the introductory section of Acts was evidently meant to be some kind of paradigm of early apostolic preaching. So putting these two things together, you just see, okay, what, what sort of ways did they preach in the, the time of the, the apostles? And I think in, in many ways we can understand what, what they said. That's why I've worked hard to memorize the, the Sermon on the Day of Pentecost. That's why I've worked hard to memorize here is just to, to get their understanding of what it is that they preached and spoke. And how they took the situation at hand, they addressed it. Then they pivoted to sin, and then they pleaded people to have faith and repentance in Jesus. Now, this morning, we don't have time to do full justice to Peter's message. I'm thinking next week of just looking at it in detail. But for our our time this morning, what I want to do is simply look at just the last verse um, of Peter's sermon, because the last verse, verse 26, really holds everything in the message together. There's some key themes in here that come about through the message we'll, we'll look at next week. Peter says this, And God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter begins here in, uh, in verse 26 by talking about God. That, in fact, that's where Peter began his sermon in the first place. You remember in verse 12? He said, why, why are you wondering at this? Why are you staring at us? It's not us. It's not our power of piety that's made him walk. It, it's God. It's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. It's the God of your fathers. It's God who did this. God is the answer to the problems. God is the answer. If you're, if you're kind of curious about here or what, what's there, you need to seek God because God is the one who did it. And that what he's speaking about here in his sermon. And secondly, then, he he transitions to speak about the resurrection. He says, God, having raised up his servant. There he is. In fact, we're going to see this over and over again. When we think about Acts and the preaching of Acts, the resurrection is prominent. It's because for a lot of people, they didn't understand the resurrection, so it was right there, front and center. This is, what, this is what God did. He raised him. And that was explicitly mentioned in verse 15. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And this resurrection preaching is the very thing that the, the council hated. Chapter 4, verse 2. In Jesus, they were proclaiming the resurrection of the dead. And that simply will not do. But Peter puts it forth there as a, as a fact. God, having raised up his servants... And I love this servant theme. It might be something you might have missed when when he says in verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. So Jesus came as his servant, perhaps referring back even to Isaiah, 
about the suffering servant. Here was Jesus. He was the one who actually was the holy one. He's the righteous one. He's the author of life. And you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. Here it is. This servant is the one that was sent to them. He, he, he came. And, and, and why did he come? He came to, to grant repentance there. He came to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This idea of turning, that's what repentance is. Repentance is is going one way and repentance is turning and coming back and going the other way. And this is what God has done. He he sent his his son, he sent his servant, raised him from the dead to bless you by turning you from your wickedness. You think about the sovereignty of God there, right? It's God who's who's turning you in repentance. Like like in Acts chapter 11 and verse 18, when they're trying to figure out about the the Gentiles and and they they concluded, well, to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance. It leads to life. And here is God blessing people by turning them from their wickedness. And and that, by the way, is really the, the last and final theme here is the blessing where I get my title of my message this morning. We see perfect health in the, in the beggar, and we see then future blessing right, coming here, which is promised in, in the preaching, that he raised up his servant. He has sent him to you first to bless you. How is he blessing you? By turning every one of you from your wickedness. And there's the blessing. There's, there's God's favor to us. And this blessing, by the way, ties back to verse 25. It said, you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's why Ryan shows Genesis 12 for you to read today, Brian, is because it's quoted right there. And, and that is what, what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 or 4. I, I can't remember, but it's, it's where he says that he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the families of the earth be blessed, that Abraham is the one who received this blessing, and the promise was through him all of us would be blessed. Through his seed all of us would be blessed. And that's the case here, is that, is that God is, is blessing us, right, by sending his, his servant to bless us and turn us from, from those ways. And we see that coming up in verse 24. And we see then that theme of blessing coming up to us now. But have you ever thought about this, about the blessing of repentance? I just want to finish us kind of with that, that message, the blessing of repentance. Zavon, I had an opportunity this week to speak with someone who's been in, in great sin and uh, has repented. And uh, there's a joy now of having repented that wasn't there before. That was in the darkness of the sin and then the repentance has come and there's a, there's a light, there's a, there's a hope, there's a, there's a blessing there. And people often think, right, when they're in the midst of sin, they, they see this as, a, as that's more attractive. They don't want to go the ways of God, they want to go the way of their flesh. But they don't understand that in turning, there's a blessing of going the way of God and turning back on the ways of the flesh. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in this way, but walks in the law of the Lord and delights in his way. And the blessing is that he's going to be like a tree. He's not going to be like this leaf or this chaff that's going to blow away. He's going to be strong and steady and persevere. And even that is eternal. As uh, was quoted in the day of Pentecost about how you will make me full of gladness with your presence. 
Psalm 16, verse 11. You stand in the presence of God and there will be glories and pleasures forevermore. There, there is a blessing of repentance to, to bring us back. And so here's what, what God is doing. God raised His Son, calls us to repentance, and brings us there to that path of blessing. And that's what, what Peter is, is doing and he's preaching this. I think next week we're going to spend some more time because there's, there's a lot there. We've just begun to scrap the surface on, and uh, I'm going to call my message something about the, the sermon in Solomon's portico, probably, and we're going to kind of dig in here, and we're going to find that Peter's a little bit more scattered than he was on the day of Pentecost, but the truths here are, are equally applicable and helpful for us, so just thinking about God, thinking about Jesus, thinking about repentance, thinking about the blessing that comes through faith and trust in Him, that goes far beyond just perfect health that this man had, but goes into future blessing as well. We just... That's why we come, right, to all the, the COVID trials that we're having, right? We just need to be reminded of the future blessing that we have if we continue to walk in repentance, not only on this life, but also in the life to come. So let's pray. Father, just thank you for this, this miracle that you performed on this man. Just these pictures just make it clear about what a, a transformative um, work you did in this man's life to take the the spindly legs and uh, to grow on them, muscles and tendons, nerves, so we could walk, to be physically perfect, to have perfect health, to walk like everyone else walks, to run like everyone else runs, to jump like everyone else jumps. God, realize that power is in you, and, and yet sometimes you don't heal us. God, it's just the way, the way things are. It's not that we hope for the physical healing as much in this world as we hope for the, the future blessing that comes through repentance. And uh, Father, just would pray for each and every one of us that we would really think about our lives and examine our hearts and see whether that repentance is real and, and, and true in us. God, not false or um, God, just not even for the blessings only. God, but realizing that walking in your ways is where the where the blessing comes in. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd teach us to run towards the good and to run towards the blessing and to turn from our sin and to trust in Jesus, this, this holy and righteous one who was given for us so that we could have life and we could enjoy it abundantly. I pray your work with this word upon this precious congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.